Uh, we enjoyed the music. Christmas celebrations are very much, you know, are, are really about music to a large extent. You think of all the great music that you've enjoyed the last few weeks, as I have. You know, the tradition of Christmas hymns is rich and, and meaningful, uh, but there are things we need to know about Christmas that may be a bit difficult to convey in verse. I would expect that this first chapter of John would be a bit hard to dramatize or present in a poetic fashion, or so it has become. Because of that, it's probably become the most neglected portion or passage of the Christmas story in the New Testament. In Matthew, you know, we read about the wise men and Joseph and all of that. And in Luke, we read about Mary, and uh, we read about the shepherds, and that's pretty cool. But G John, John doesn't give us any of that. Yet, the, the first chapter of John is the official Christmas reading of the Church of England. This is John's version of the Christmas story, and I read it from verse 1 to verse 18. Hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father he has explained him. And that then is our Christmas story. And you say, what? This is the Christmas story? Where, where are the shepherds and, and the angels and the wise men? Where, where's uh, Jimmy Stewart and Will Ferrell and Santa Claus? Uh, no mention of any of those here. This, this is not, no, it's not the Christmas story of the storyteller, really, or of the historian or of the romanticist. This is the Christmas story for the philosopher, for the theologian, okay? But until you understand John chapter 1, the virgin and the manger and the shepherds and all of that, it can just be sentimentalism. So join with me to see what this chapter of God's Word tells us about Christmas as we see what it tells us about Jesus, the Christ. The name of Jesus is only used one time in, in these 18 verses right toward the end, but anyone familiar with the writings of uh, John or anyone familiar with this gospel will recognize Christ behind the title, The Word. You see that, verse 1? In the beginning was what? The Word. And, uh, you know, probably you know, on, on our screen, probably in your Bible, the W is capitalized there. The editors of your Bible understand this to be a title 
for a person, particularly the Lord Jesus. So we sing in the Christmas carol, O Come All Ye Faithful, we sing Word of the Father now in flesh appearing. So Jesus is the Word of God with a capital W. But why would John give him that, if you think about it, rather odd title? And I could go on into a long discourse on the Greek philosophical roots of this concept or the Hebraic significance of it, but I don't think any of that's necessary, and I doubt that it'd be very helpful, because you already know what a word is and what a word does. A word communicates, right? It is the expression of an idea uh, or representation of an object. And, And we seldom think about what words do because we use them all the time, either to communicate or to listen and learn. But I think we all know what it is like to want to say something and not be able to remember the word for it, right? You have an idea, but you have a hard time, um, um, you have a hard time conveying it or getting it across because the word you want to use, well, it, um, it, uh, it eludes you. <laughs> or possibly there's no word for it at all. Sometimes that's the case. Are you familiar with sniglets? Huh? A few years back, a guy named Rich Hall uh, invented these things as an attempt to explain phenomena that we experience for which we have no particular word. Let me share a few of his words that he calls sniglets. Uh, there's choconivorous. Choconivorous. What, what would that mean? Well, this is an adjective referring to the tendency when eating a chocolate Easter bunny to bite the head off first. Choconivorous. All right. Uh, this one you'll understand, I'm sure. Elbonics. Elbonics is a noun, the actions of two people maneuvering for one armrest on an airplane or a theater. Okay? Elbonics. Uh, here's a good one. Hozone. Hozone. I experience this all the time. It's that mysterious place to which one sock in every load of laundry seems to disappear. It goes to the hozone. All right. And my favorite, fernadents. Fernadents. The uh, fernadent is uh, what is left behind when you move a large piece of furniture off some carpeted flooring, right? The sofa leaves a fernadent. That's right. You, know, you never knew that, right? You didn't know what to call it. You saw it, and you said, look at that. That's a, uh, that's a, that. Now you know. That's a fernadent. You needed a word to communicate. That's what words are good for. So what do we mean when we say that Jesus is the word of God? We mean that he is the one who communicates to us what God is, apart from from Christ, there is, in fact, no knowledge of God. Oh, men say they're trying to find God. They look for God in telescopes. They look for God sometimes inside themselves. But man will find God only one way, and that is if God chooses to reveal himself to us. It's a motion picture by Ingmar Bergman that speaks about the problem, uh, this problem in, in his film called The Silence, and it portrays the plight of three characters who do not hear the voice of God and who believe that God is apparently, if he exists at all, that God is silent. Now, think about that. What, what a horrible thought that would be, that God would make us, would throw us into existence on this planet and never, ever speak to us, never tell us why he made us, why we are here, never even let us know that he exists. You cry out for God, you ask him to speak, but nobody's home or else he's chosen not to communicate to us. 
while I was waiting in line at Giant Eagle, I noticed the uh, headline of one of those, uh, you know, silly magazines they put out there to try to get you to buy them on your, you know, they had the interesting headlines. This one said this, Dying Planet Sends Message to Earth. And I saw that, I thought, wow. I was disturbed as I thought about it because I subscribed to four online news sources, and none of them had this story about the dying planet communicating to earth. They totally missed it. I don't know about you, but when a dying planet sends a message to our world, I want to know about that. Even more so does it merit a headline when the living God sends a message to human beings, and that is what Jesus is. Christmas is the incarnation of God, a celestial telegram of immense importance. Now, I don't, I don't know what the message from the dying planet was. I, I was in the express lane, so I didn't get to read that. But the message from the living God was, here I am. This is what I am like. Our 18th verse says, no one has seen God at any time. <laughs> That's true in the sense that no one has seen God, the Father. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained him. So Jesus takes the guesswork out of our theology. We don't have to sit around wondering if God is caring or indifferent, wondering if God is holy or devious, if he's mighty or if he's weak. Jesus explains God to us. He is the Word. So Hebrews 1 verse 1 says, God, after he spoke long ago in the fathers or to the fathers and the prophets in many portions in many ways, in these last days he has spoken to us, what's it say? In his Son. The coming of Jesus into the world is the communication of God with humanity about himself. Now, in a sense, every human that is made in God's image tells us at least something about who God is and, and, and what he's like. Every Christian born of God's spirit reveals something indeed of the divine character. But, but listen to the next verse in Hebrews chapter 1. He, Jesus, is the radiance of His, that is, God's glory, and the exact representation of His nature. You got that? The radiance of His glory, the exact representation of His nature. So if you want to know what God is like, you look to Jesus. Why? Well, because He's the closest thing we have to God. No, even better than that, He is what? The exact representation of of his nature. So, John chapter 14, look at there with me. Jesus, you know, has, had, had to put up with a lot from his disciples. That was 2,000 years ago. He had to put up with a lot from his disciples. He puts up with a lot from his disciples. Nowadays, he puts up with a lot of pride and stupidity out of me. And we see him dealing patiently in the scriptures with those who were part of his initial recruits. So here is Jesus near the end of his earthly life and ministry. He had been with his guys for three years now. And in John 14, 1, we read this. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. <laughs> now, that's a pretty audacious thing to say, don't you think? <laughs> don't you think? Uh, who, who could get away with saying that? I mean, if I got up and said, believe in God, believe. If you thought I was saying that, you'd, you'd, you'd be on me in a, in a moment. But Jesus said this. Verse 7, same chapter. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, this is one of those moments where you'd like to have the, uh, you know, the, the YouTube version of Jesus actually saying this to see how, what's his tone of voice like here? Have I been so long with you? 
And yet you have not come to know me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus says, if you see me, you have seen the Father. Good enough anyway. John says that Jesus, <coughs> the only begotten, explains who God is. He is the Word, the living expression of all that our God is. So that is why Jesus is called the Word. All right? So from here on, I want to look at what John says about the Word. And as we do, I would have you think about the orthodox doctrine of the Trinity. Now, the term Trinity, despite its frequent usage among Christians of pretty much every branch of the church, uh, is, is a term that's really little, little understood. Even among those who are in church today, the concept was developed in the early centuries uh, of the church to describe the relationship that exists between this one we call God the Father and between Jesus and between this other being the Holy Spirit. Simply put, the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity affirms that there is one God who subsists in three distinct personalities, the Father, the Son, who is Jesus, and, and the Holy Spirit. And as you study John 1, you'll find that the Trinitarian idea fits nicely what we're reading here. In the beginning, it says, in the beginning. Now, where have you read that before in the Bible? Huh? In the beginning. That's how, that's how it all starts, right? Genesis 1, in the beginning, God. John 1, in the beginning was the Word. According to Genesis, what was in the beginning with God? Huh? According to Genesis, I should say, what was in the beginning with God? Nothing. Genesis. We'll get to John here in a second. Hang on. <laughs> in Genesis, in the beginning, God, and that's, that, that's all, all there was. But then according to John, the Word was there in the beginning. John 1, 2. He was in, read it out loud with me. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. How much of what came into being came into being through him? All things. The rest of verse 3. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. John goes out of his way there to emphasize that this is all-inclusive. If it was created, Jesus created it. So, what does that tell you about Jesus? Wow, that's kind of mind-blowing. For one thing... He was not created. Uh-uh. From the other Christmas stories, you might get the idea that Jesus had his beginning right there in, in Bethlehem, but John says he has always been. The, uh, this is precisely what was prophesied by Micah many centuries before Christ came. Micah 5, verse 2, as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Wow. That's what John says in our second verse in John, right? He was in the beginning with God. Before you were born, before there was Adam, 